Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be your host for the next hour. I'm hoping to educate, entertain, enlighten, whatever I can do to make this a interesting fall Chico day. The 2018 tax season is officially over. It officially ended on October 15th at midnight. It was interesting to say the least. I usually have a crunch toward the end. This year it seems like with the fires and I just seem to have a lot more new clients this year than usual. And some of them, they came to me in sort of a state of disarray. A couple of them came to me during the summer, but they didn't have their numbers together like they should have by August or so. Needless to say, I ended up with some very late nights toward the end of the deadline toward the 15th just trying to help people. There are some CPA firms that I'm sure have some strict rules, and they'll just flat out say, if you don't bring me your work by October 1, you're not going to get done on time. I try to be like that, and I try to emphasize to people to get the work to me early so I have time to work on it properly. But at my place, I do try to live by the old maxim that the customer's always right. I also just try to help whoever I can. Unfortunately, it's kind of like triage on a battlefield. If it's uh, one or two days before the deadline, and I have someone who did bring me their things by the 1st or the 5th of October, and then I have someone new that brought me their things on the 13th of October, obviously I have to take care of the clients who did bring the work in sooner. So that's sort of the triage thing. But this year there were some critical issues that had to be done on a timely return. The one glaring example of that was with the fire and all the proceeds from insurance, most people aren't even done sorting out what their insurance is going to end up having paid them total. They are also now in the midst of suing PG&E to recover more money, perhaps, possibly. So the problem is there's a lot of numbers that are up in the air and no one even knows what the gains or losses really are until everything gets sorted out with future insurance reimbursements, future PG&E lawsuit. Uh, I'll call them winnings, but it's just, you know, settlements. Or So the point is, is that there was a major election that had to be made on a timely filed return. So even if somebody hadn't brought me all of the information that I asked them for, I still had to file a return for them by the 15th. That's the extended due date. Uh, in April, you request an extension, and it's for six months on, on an individual return. There were clients that I did not have all of their information, but I had to file the return by the 15th because that is the deadline to make the election. They call it an election. It's an election to postpone the gain on an involuntary conversion, which is a fire, flood, earthquake, that's an involuntary conversion. But like I'm saying, no, a lot of these clients don't even know yet whether they have a gain or a loss or how much they're going to get. So it's very important to do this election on time. 
if they end up with a gain, if they didn't do the election, then they can't postpone the gain and they have to pay the tax on the gain. That's the bottom line. If they elect to replace the property within the prescribed periods, two, three, and four years from now or from the end of 18, that election is very important. That can save somebody a lot of tax in case they end up with a big gain. And some people will end up with big gains. One of the more mysterious type of gains that uh, most people don't really realize is a gain. That is when, let's say somebody's bought a rental property for 250000 and they've rented it for five years, and then they turn around and sell it for two fifty. Well, in their mind, they don't have a gain. But the problem is the depreciation that they've taken against their rental income for the last five years, that expense has to be, you have to adjust your purchase price by that expense so that if you take in 20000 of rents over a few years, but you've listed depreciation expense of 20000 over that same period, you didn't have to pay tax on the rental income, but you do have to adjust your basis. So if you paid two fifty, I try to keep the math simple here on Business Buzz. I don't want to confuse anyone. If you paid two fifty and you've depreciated twenty, what's called your adjusted basis is two thirty. If you now turn around and sell that rental property for two fifty, it seems like you didn't make a gain, but in tax law you did because your adjusted basis is less than your selling price. So that's the short version, but that's a mystery gain that a lot of people have. So even if people feel like they didn't receive that much insurance money, they still could have a gain if they have a low adjusted basis in their rental property. Principal residences are a little easier if someone has a involuntary conversion and gets a gain with the insurance money for the buildings and they're not required to rebuild, then it can be treated as a sale of a residence. And there are certain rules that give single people $250,000 of a tax-free gain if they qualify. So don't just take my word for all these numbers. You have to ask a professional to help you figure this out. But if you qualify as a principal residence exclusion, single people get $250,000 tax-free gain on a residence sale or involuntary conversion. And married couples, if they qualify, get a $500,000 gain. And that is kind of the the main thing about these uh, elections is if you don't make that election and you do end up with a gain, you can end up with, uh, you can end up with a lot of problems down the road because you didn't get it in on time. So the The bottom line on that uh, whole situation on the 15th this year was we had all these people that needed this election to be made, and whether you're completely finished with the tax return or not, you have to make a timely filing, and that was what was real tricky. I have a caller on the line. I'm going to pick that up and see who's here. Hello, caller. Hey, Harold. It's Jim. Hey, Jim. How are you? This is Jim McCall, the... uh, the uh, contractor extraordinaire of Northern California. What you been doing? Well, thanks for that. I appreciate that. It's uh, very nice of you. 
Well, the last time I went through this uh, depreciation thing with the rents, right? we did a Starker. Can, can you still do that? Yes, and a, that's the thing. A Starker, uh, for people who don't know that term, it is a tax-free exchange. It's also Section 1031. Now, here's the thing, Jim. The Starker is still around for real estate. There's no more uh, tax-free. There's no more tax-free uh, trades of anything but realty. But there is for realty. The thing about the involuntary conversions is it's sort of the same rules. It's close to the same rules as Starkers. It's Section 1033. It's actually a little bit more liberal than 1031. Uh, one of the things I found out during questioning from all these clients who had all these questions, and I had to research a lot this year, a Section 1031, you sell real estate in the U.S., you have to buy U.S. real estate. Section 1033 does not, from what my research told me, does not restrict you to U.S. real estate. And one client, uh, not they, I didn't help him that much. I talked to him on the phone. They ended up looking in Mexico for a replacement. But, yes, the new tax law kept the tax-deferred exchange of real property on the books. So anybody who has a rental that's been way depreciated and they want to sell it, if they're looking for another rental, yes, they can still do a tax-free exchange. And if it's done right, there's a lot of rules you have to follow. Then they can postpone that gain. Did you end up doing one of those at one point? Yeah, we were lined up to do it when things fell apart in 2009. Um, But the... What we were trying to do is exchange property in the same hood, you know, within within a, a, a recent, a, a relatively close radius, so that we could maintain control of it. I, doing an exchange with a property out of the area, like hours away, it's just it's it. The cost factors are terrible. Yeah, I mean, you you really have to plan those exchanges out. And what I hope yeah. my clients can do, if they can is to plan a simultaneous closing day to where their old place sells on one day and on the same day the new one buys. But uh, that's not always possible. So there's lots of tricks and traps for those Section 1031s. So, yeah, they were there was another contractor who were just going to flip the properties. They were, you know, reasonably equitable terms of sales, and it was just, it was all perfect, but it just came to naught on that time. Right. Well, the thing but, about 1031s is you don't you don't necessarily trade directly. You just you hire an intermediary to be your buyer. They right. hold the money and then they disperse it out to the purchase you're going to do and that can be up to 6 months later, but uh there's uh, yeah. tricky rules. Yeah, it's really you got to get yeah, it done so right. Yeah. You have to have a herald to do it. Yeah. For sure. It's tricky. Hey, listen, Harold, the other question I have was um when you sell property Say you sell your primary here in Chico, and um, you want to burn. You want to build in the new, uh, you know, the cleared lots up in Paradise or something. Now, do you do you still have eighteen months to reinvest? Is that still if if your if your home burned in the fire? I believe since it's a federally declared disaster, I think, and I, I don't want to get quoted on this because I always want to look it up, but I think it's four. You have four years to do the replacement. So right, we didn't we didn't burn, but we want we want to buy land in the fire oh, zone and build. No, okay. Here's the deal: within six months of the, if you sell your property first, the the selling property, you have to be in the new property, and it has to be built, and the money has to be spent by six months after. 
Oh, boy, that's tight. Yeah, the the 1031 is a six-month maximum. The 1033 stretches up to like four years because it's a involuntary. It's like it's a sale that you didn't ask for. So they have a lot right. more liberal time frames. The 1031s, right. uh, you have to identify the new property within 45 days of your sale, and then you have to close on the new within six months. I had a client who actually sold a condo in Kauai in December. They did the exchange and they ended up building a cottage in Maui or something, or it might still be in Kauai. But the problem is it was not built when they did their, there was nothing, oh. they had to get the building absolutely done by that six month time frame. They ended up doing it, but it was pretty close. So Yes, it's very yeah. tricky on the 1031s. No, no I wasn't going to use the Starker. I was just going to sell my primary, and we bought the lot already. We own the oh, lot. Oh, okay. Now, if you sell your primary, is it a, a joint house with you and your wife? Yes. Yeah. If you've lived there two years and you've owned it for two years as joint, then you guys get a up to $500,000 gain tax-free. So you don't have to worry about any exchange dates. You can right. get into the new one whenever you want. Because your sale is tax free. Yeah, but that's that, that's what I'm asking now. So, do I have to get it done within a year, or do I have 18 months? Well, no. To invest the money. No, when you sell a principal residence, that's not eligible for Section 1031 because right. it's not investment property. So, you basically can do whatever you please. If you sell your residence right now for a gain ah. of even 499 grand. Yeah. You can just sit on that money because it's not taxable income, and it doesn't matter when you replace. You're not gonna. There is no oh, replacement of a residence. Okay, as long as I'm still under five hundred thousand, shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> right, and the only right, and the only time replacement of principal residence matters is if it's a involuntary conversion of the residence. Right. Then you have to look right. at the replacement spending and all that if you don't want right. to. If you want to avoid the gain, but. Uh, Boy, yeah. it gets complicated. It's so complicated. Yeah. I mean, resident yeah. sales are weird. Then you add the fire thing and the exchange dates. It's oh. it's crazy. Hey, it was Harold, a crazy well, year. Thanks, I appreciate it. We'll talk again. Hey, thanks a lot, Jim. Thanks for calling. Bye. Thanks. Well, as the more I talk about those types of tax items, the more I realize how confusing they are. So I don't want anybody to think that you can really learn this just by hearing about it over the radio. But it does sort of point out the things you need to ask people if and when you're going to be selling a home or if you're a fire victim also. And like I always say, there's lots of good tax professionals in Chico area. I hope to be one of them. And I'm always available for a free consultation, whether it's over the phone or in person. And uh, that's just something I always offer because that's a good way to good way to meet good way to meet new clients. And sometimes I think about the fact that I uh, probably have as many clients as I can handle, but I do like the idea of meeting new people and uh, helping out new people also. Well, we'll be right back after this break. I'll see you on the other side of the message. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. MACPC911 in Chico reminds everyone that the blood you donate gives someone another chance at life. Someday that someone might be a U.S. serviceman, a loved one, or even yourself. So please give blood and give the gift of life. That's MACPC 911, Chico's premier 24-hour mobile, commercial, and residential computer service and repair specialist. Proudly serving our community since 2005. Call MACPC 911 at 
8236. Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX. This message reaches a million people or more every week. Spreading the gospel is more than one voice speaking to a million. It is and must continue to be a million voices, each speaking to one, pointing them to our friend Jesus. The Lutheran Hour with Dr. Michael Ziegler. The Lutheran Hour, Saturday and Sunday at 1.30, here on KKXX. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a chance to spend part of your busy afternoon with me. I'm sure there are students to be picked up from school and soccer games to be dropped off to and all the usual activities of Northern California families. So on this next segment, I, to be honest, I just wanted today to be a nice day because that Working up through that uh, October 15th deadline was really tough. And unfortunately, the 15th fell on a Tuesday this year, so I wasn't able to come in here and do a current broadcast last week. So I apologize for that, but I should be back on a regular basis now that we have a breather between the 2018 tax year and the new 2019 tax year. And uh, also... Don't forget that if there's any tax advantages to planning ahead during the year here, there are some things you can't do once December 31 passes to help your tax situation. That's another topic for another day right now. But if you think about, especially if you're self-employed, if you have anything hanging that you need to buy, say, some new equipment or a new computer for your business, a new car for your business or a new truck if you're a contractor, it can really pay off to buy it in December instead of January, depending on the numbers. You can't blanket say that all the time, but generally generally it's going to be better to buy in December than in January, unless you have a specific reason why January would be better. That's another reason to give someone like me a call. Uh, My number is 895-3353. I offer a free consultation, whether it's business, investment, income tax, insurance, whatever you need to know, you can you can ask me. I'll be a good second opinion at the very least. I wanted to cover a topic that I have this is probably more of an opinion than facts because I'm not a fact-based researcher on this, but this is just my take on things. I've been I've been helping people in the business world and the tax and the financial world since well since I got out of 
got my bachelor's degree in accounting in 1979. That would put me at, oh, hmm, that's depressing, 40 years. So for 40 years, I've been following politics. I've been following the economy, business, precious metals. As you know, I'm, I'm very big on, I think precious metals should be part of everybody's portfolio. And I don't mean the paper kind, I mean the metal kind. So there's a new topic since President Trump is involved in this trade war with China. I'm not going to I'm not going to back or go against or say he's right or wrong, but I wanted to discuss what is the what is the real goal? What's what's the problem that this trade war is supposed to be working on? What's what is what is it that someone thinks needs to be changed or fixed? And I just wanted to give my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying I want to give my opinion. Ever since like the 1970s, there's a thing called globalism, and there's been a trend to make certain areas of the world i believe it i think it kind of started when henry kissinger went to china and did that whole opening up of china with nixon that was probably in the early 70s i don't have my dates with me right now so basically my take on it is this the world's banks and the i would call i would say the people who pull the strings the people who run the central banks after all, if you own the money, you kind of own, you kind of control a lot. But generally, for 40 or 50 years, we've been pushed towards this global style economy where the manufacturing has been pushed off to the Far East, generally, and South America, Central America, Mexico. And we've become a service oriented, software-oriented economy much more than before. I believe the theory of these trade wars is simply to get back to what they call bilateral trade agreements, which would have been something you would have seen 100 years ago, where we would make a, a an agreement with, just say, the England, say the U.K., we would make a trade agreement with the UK. They would maybe make the agreement with us and agree to it. They'd hammer it out, and we would trade with the UK like we want to. Then we would make a trade agreement with Canada, and Canada would agree, and they'd hammer it out, and we'd trade with Canada. That is bilateral trade. What I've noticed, and I remember the, the if anybody remembers the night they voted on NAFTA, which was in the early 80s. That was a Clinton thing. I remember how I just I was astonished that all those all those representatives, which remember the people that we elect to go to Congress are supposed to represent our best interest. I was astonished when all the representatives caved at the last minute and voted for that agreement. I particularly remember Wally Herger, our local representative here, 
stating right up till the day before the vote that he was against it. And the next thing you know, he voted for it. The entire world economy has been geared for 40 or 50 years. And remember, after World War II, remember all the jokes about made in Japan? It was kind of a joke. Uh, Buck Owens even had a song about his his wife, made in Japan. So it was like a joke in the old days, made in Japan. Well, it turns out Japan turned out a lot of good quality things, but now it's like made in China. And I've never been to China. I know a lot of people have, and I've heard people talk about the fact that you can drive for 60, 70, 80 miles in one direction and not see anything but factories. And it's like, who's who benefited most from the manufacturing being taken all to the Far East and we end up with this trade deficit of $600 billion a year? I'm of the opinion that even though it does lead to lower prices, I believe that the job, the jobs lost probably offset those cheaper prices just based on the fact that we have poverty worse now than we did 50 years ago. Inflation is one of the reasons that happens too because inflation just kills a, a wage earner. If his wages aren't going up as fast as the inflation rate, he's losing money every day. So it's my opinion, and like I say, this is an opinion. It's my opinion that this globalism has not been good for the United States. The United States probably is the richest, wealthiest natural resource place in the world. We may not have as much of everything, but we have everything and we have food. Now, the key for me is that when we buy from China, it's things we want to buy from China. When China buys from us, It's things they have to buy. Think of it this way. They've got a problem where the pork in China has been, I can't remember, I'm not sure what happened, but there's some kind of swine disease where the pork is not edible in China or something. So they need to import a lot of food. Well, if you're a country like the United States where you own all the food, you can make enough food to feed yourself and import to the rest of the world, really what more do you need? Why would you... Why would you start a big trade deficit with other countries when you already have everything you need? We also had huge amounts of gold and the biggest deposits of silver. I know Mexico's the biggest silver-producing country now, but I'm sure in the 1800s with the uh, Comstock load and Virginia City and all that, I'm sure we had more silver than Mexico back then coming out of the ground. Why would a country that has all the resources available to them, why would they give them all away and do this big trade deficit? I don't think it was smart overall. It's been 40 or 50 years. And in my opinion, the fact that we are now making these more bilateral trade agreements to me makes sense. I'll get back to this when the bottom of the hour break is over. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. Don't fall asleep. Commenting on theological comprehension, Chuck Swindoll made this alarming observation. He said the church of the 21st century is wading into shallow waters biblically. 
Chuck will challenge us to dig deeper in our understanding of God's amazing character. Tuesday on Insight for Living. Tune in weekdays at 7 for Insight for Living with Chuck Swindoll here on KKXX. Show. I'm Scott Allred. I'm Ben Taney. And I'm Matt Four. This is Jessica Wilkerson, one of your hosts of Chico Now. A half hour designed for the community and brought to you by the community. Each day, one of our hosts will join with people from organizations throughout the greater Chico area. We want to let you know what's happening in Chico Now. So join us at 1230 Monday through Friday here on KKXX for Chico Now. God has abundantly blessed America. Our founding fathers knew and understood the laws of nature and of nature's God that prosper a people in harmony with them. Most assuredly, people that seek first God's ways of universal righteousness, spiritual prosperity, create the environment of peace, harmony, and blessing that naturally pave the way to material prosperity. America, bless God. In Africa, five-year-old Cheru has no choice. She and millions like her walk miles a day for dirty water. But together, we can end their walk by providing clean water close by. Instead of spending hours walking to get water that makes them sick, girls can be in a classroom and moms will gain back time to care for their families. Sons and daughters can grow up strong, finally free of sicknesses. It's true. When you just add water, you change a life. Learn more at worldvision.org. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks again for spending part of your busy day with me. I'm hoping to be educational, entertaining, and maybe even enlightening in the, in the last segment of the show. But for this little time, I have another of my favorite, my favorite author's articles. And uh, you, if you've listened to Business Buzz, you've heard this name before. And he's got a real good, uh, he posts these articles about once a week on his website called goldswitzerland.com. He's a Swiss guy named Egon von Greyers, G-R-E-Y-E-R-Z. And if you go to goldswitzerland.com, you can read all of these. But I wanted to share this one because it's a, it's very pertinent. And it's dated October 17th, which is last week. And it starts, and his, uh, his title is Global Warning, with an N, Warning. It says, Seek transit gloria mundi, thus passes the glory of the world. This phrase was used at the papal coronations between the early 1400s and 1963. It was meant to indicate the transitory or ephemeral nature of life and cycles. As we are now facing the end of a major economic, political, and cultural cycle, the world is likely to experience a dramatic change which very few are prepared for. Interestingly, the peak of economic cycles often coincide with the peaks in climate cycles. At the height of the Roman Empire, which was when Christ was born, the climate in Rome was tropical. Then the earth got cooler, 
until the Viking era, which coincided with the Dark Ages. The problem is the economy, stupid, and not the climate. Yes, of course, global warming has taken place recently as the effect of climate cycles. But the cycle has just peaked again, which means that all the global warming activists will gradually cool down with the falling temperatures in the next few decades. The sun and the planets determine climate cycles and temperatures, like they have for many millions of years, and not human beings. The climate activists are spending their efforts on the wrong issue. The big disaster looming for the world is not climate change, but, quote, the economy, stupid. So let's instead look at the real coming disaster that the world needs to focus on and a number of facts that are self-evident, even though very few are aware of them. Instead of worrying about global warming, which we humans cannot effect, we should instead issue a global warning about the coming economic cataclysm so that the world can be prepared for the extremely serious problems that will hit us all in the next few years. Below, I outline a potential scenario for the next five to ten years. Biggest economic disaster in history. The world is heading for an economic disaster of a magnitude that is much greater than the 1930s Depression. There is really nothing to compare with in history since the world has never been in a similar situation before when every single major economy is at risk. Global debt will kill the world economy. Never before in history have all major countries lived above their means for such an extended period. And never before has global debt been almost four times global GDP. Two quadrillion dollars debt and liabilities. In addition, unfunded liabilities like medical care and pensions are at least $300 trillion globally. If we add gross derivatives of $1.5 quadrillion, which are likely to turn into real debt as counterparties fail, the total debt and liabilities are above $2 quadrillion. And I'll interject here to remind you of what I've talked about counterparties in the past. Everything you own other than physical gold and physical silver has counterparty risk. In other words, whatever piece of paper, whatever account number you hold, you have to rely on the other side of that bargain to carry through with giving you what's yours. That's called counterparty risk, and virtually everything you own has it. Debt at 30 times global GDP can never be repaid. Two quadrillion dollars is almost 30 times global GDP. Who is going to repay this debt? Certainly not the current generation, which has incurred most of it, and certainly not future generations, which will neither have the means nor the inclination to pay for the sins of the previous generation. Debt is growing at an ever faster rate. Most major economies are continuing to spend money they haven't got, and thus to print money and expand credit at an ever faster rate. The U.S., for example, has increased debt by $800 billion since June. As the U.S. economy falters, annual deficits of $1 to $2 trillion will increase manifold in the coming years. And when the banking system comes under pressure, which is happening right now, money printing will accelerate at an even faster pace. As the global economy falters, most major countries will see deficits and debts rising quickly. Negative rates, a recipe for disaster. Negative rates are a disaster for the world. Over $17 trillion of debt now carries negative interest. 
Firstly, it kills the incentive to save. A fundamental economic principle is that savings equal investments. The world cannot grow soundly with investments financed solely by debt or printed money. With no savings, most banks do not have funds to lend to businesses. Thus, investments will slow down dramatically. Negative rates also lead to investors chasing ever riskier investments to get a higher return. Also, pension funds will not achieve adequate returns to cover outstanding liabilities. Debt and all bubble assets like stocks and property will implode. Like the climate, virtually, like the climate, virtually all asset classes are overheated. The bubbles that the credit expansion has created will implode in the next few years together with the debt that created the bubbles. Central banks around the world will make a desperate attempt to save the world economy by printing unlimited amounts of money. All currencies will go to zero. Deflation will follow hyperinflation. As money printing accelerates, paper money will become worthless and a depressionary hyperinflation will hit the world. Hyperinflationary periods on average last for around one to three years and are followed by a deflationary implosion of all asset values in real terms. At that point, substantial parts of the financial system will cease to function properly or will go bankrupt. Governments will lose control. Before new financial and political systems emerge, there will be social upheaval and unrest. Criminality will be widespread as desperate and hungry people will do what they can to feed themselves and their children. In many countries, immigrants will be blamed for the misery of the people. Right and left-wing radicals will fight immigrants. There are likely to be periods of anarchy as governments lose control. I do not believe that an, that an elite will control the world at that point. The disorderly unwinding of asset bubbles and the world economy will be uncontrollable. Global markets on the cusp of crashing. The above scenario could start at any time. In many respects, it has already started. The world will only be aware of the next phase when global markets start the first severe phase of the coming secular downtrend. We could see this already in October, which is a notorious crash month, or it could start as late as in early 2020. We will also start to see increased pressures in the financial system, including problems in many European banks as well as U.S. banks. Once bubbles burst, the course of events could be very rapid. The above scenario could all happen over a few years and probably not more than five. This doesn't mean that the economy will start recovering rapidly in five years' time. It just means that markets and the worst problems reach a bottom. But after that, the world will crawl along that bottom for many, many years. There is no absolute protection against this scenario since it will hit all aspects of life and virtually all people. Obviously, people living off the land in remote areas will suffer less, while people in industrial and urban areas will suffer considerably. The best financial protection is without hesitation physical gold and silver. These metals are critical life insurance, but there are clearly many other important areas of protection to plan for. A circle of friends and family is absolutely essential. So that sounds kind of gloom and doom, but, you know, two quadrillion in debt is gloom and doom, and it's true. I've talked before about what a trillion is because most people can't even can't even relate to it. And a trillion is such a huge number. Uh, it's, it's hardly even fathomable. It's, 
it's just too big of a number to even think of. Now, remember, a quadrillion, you know, you know how our number system has commas every three digits? Well, each, each three-digit set is a, is a multiplica- multiplier of 1,000. So when you have one comma zero, 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 that's 1,000. When you have six zeros, that's a million. When you have nine zeros, that's a billion. When you have 12 zeros, that's a trillion. And when you have 15 zeros, that's a quadrillion. It's such a big number, it's really not even comprehensible. But that's where we're at. Debt, 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 and more debt. Trillions of dollars that have to be paid out, and where's it going to come from? I have clients that have nice pensions coming from PERS and STRS, and they worked hard all their life, and now they're retired with a nice monthly pension check. The problem is, if inflation picks up, and like that Von Greyer's article talks about hyperinflation, what good is a five thousand a month check when uh, you know rent is four thousand a month and it uh, costs two hundred dollars to fill up your tank and tank of gas in your car? Five thousand dollars doesn't go very far. That's the problem with dollars. They can go down in value relative to the things you actually use and need. And that's where the silver and gold come into play. I've talked about this before. But a silver quarter in 1964 would pretty much buy a gallon of gas. A silver quarter now, well, with gas shooting up to $4 a gallon, it's not quite enough for a whole gallon, but it's close. It's a lot closer than those quarters that are made of copper, nickel, and zinc, or whatever they're made of. They have no, that's what's called intrinsic value. They have no intrinsic value. It's interesting that the Roman Empire went through its high-end phase, and then it started going down, down, down the tubes till it collapsed. The silver content of their coins went down at the same time their empire was going down. Stay tuned. I've got some enlightening commentary coming up for the fourth segment. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. Pacific Justice Institute. This is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. Parents, many public schools across the nation have bought into the sexual revolution. They are demonstrating their commitment to it by trying to persuade young children that they are no longer little boys and little girls. Instead, the public school purveyors of this destructive nonsense are teaching our children that human beings exist on a sexuality spectrum. This is outrageous. Parents, Pacific Justice Institute is here to defend your parental rights. If you would like to at least partially protect your children from this highly controversial curriculum, download our free opt-out form at pji.org. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. I can do this. We believe in you. Each day brings hope. Every day, millions of people celebrate their recovery from addiction and mental illness while others begin their journey. Be a part of it. Share your strength, support, and hope. 
Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a chance to spend part of your day with me. I appreciate that. I enjoy being here and just kind of, well, I like I like kind of analyzing my own opinions while I'm speaking because I don't sit and like write all these things down and outline them and weigh them and pros and cons. I just start sort of rattling on, but... Uh, Hopefully you enjoy that. At least it'll make you think. You don't necessarily need to agree with me, but you can at least think about the fact that uh, a lot of you people, if you're if you're my age, if you're I'm uh, well, I won't. We don't talk ages here on Business Buzz, but I've been around a while. I'm sure there's lots of people listening that actually have parents who were working people in the old U.S. economy, and. Those were the good old days when one parent could work and support a family with a couple of children and a couple of cars and a house payment. And you didn't have to have both parents working two jobs each to make ends meet for the average for the average household. So I kind of like the uh, I like the old U.S. economy. Maybe we'll get back to it. So for the last few minutes of the show, I really just want to relax a little bit expand our horizons, do a little do a little mental exercise, but nothing difficult, just very, very peaceful, and uh, hopefully you'll find it educational. I'm going to read Lesson 128 from one of my favorite books, A Course in Miracles. I want to remind you that the entire premise of this book is that there are two worlds. The one you're, you're, the one you see, the one you react in, your normal thinking world, the one you think in, and then there's the world that you get to when your mind steps back and you observe your own thoughts. That is the other world that this Course in Miracles talks about. If you've read any books like The Power of Now and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, he's big into that too. I kind of call his books Course in Miracles light because it's very, very similar thinking, just presented differently. But if you remember that you have these two minds, and according to the Course, and I'm not telling you this is true, I'm just offering it to you as an idea. According to the Course, one is the right mind and then one is the other mind. And that's important to remember the two minds you have when I read this lesson 128, otherwise it won't make sense to you. So keep in mind what I talked about. The one mind that runs your day all day long with all your problems and all your worldly errands to do, and the other mind that can step back and observe your thoughts and be detached from that. So I'm going to read lesson 128, and I might I might read 129 also, but we're going to start with 128. The title of lesson 128 is The World I See holds nothing that I want. 
The world you see holds nothing that you need to offer you, nothing that you can use in any way nor anything at all that serves to give you joy. Believe this thought and you are saved from years of misery, from countless disappointments, and from hopes that turn to bitter ashes of despair. No one but must accept this thought as true if he would leave the world behind and soar beyond its petty scope and little ways. Each thing you value here is but a chain that binds you to the world, and it will serve no other end but this. For everything must serve the purpose you have given it until you see a different purpose there. The only purpose worthy of your mind this world contains is that you pass it by without delaying to perceive some hope where there is none. Be you deceived no more. The world you see holds nothing that you want. Escape today the change you place upon your mind when you perceive salvation here. For what you value, you make part of you as you perceive yourself. All things you seek to make your value greater in your sight limit you further, hide your worth from you, and add another bar across the door that leads to true awareness of yourself. Let nothing that relates to body thoughts delay your progress to salvation, nor permit temptation to believe the world holds anything you want to hold you back. Nothing is here to cherish. Nothing here is worth one instant of delay and pain, one moment of uncertainty and doubt. The worthless offer nothing. Certainty of worth cannot be found in worthlessness. Today we practice letting go all thought of values we have given to the world. We leave it free of purposes. We give its aspects and its phases and its dreams. We hold it purposeless within our minds and loosen it from all we wish it were. Thus do we lift the chains that bar the door to freedom from the world and go beyond all little values and diminished goals. Pause and be still a little while and see how far you rise above the world when you release your mind from chains and let it seek the level where it finds itself at home. I'm going to just interject there. That's exactly what I was prefacing this with. Uh, getting back to Lesson 128. It will be grateful to be free a while. It knows where it belongs, but free its wings and it will fly in sureness and enjoy to join its holy purpose. Let it rest in its creator, there to be restored to sanity, to freedom and to love. Give it ten minutes rest three times today, and when your eyes are opened afterwards, you will not value anything you see as much as when you looked at it before. Your whole perspective on the world will shift by just a little every time you let your mind escape its chains. The world is not where it belongs, and you belong where it would be and where it goes to rest when you release it from the world. Your guide is sure. Open your mind to him. Be still and rest. Protect your mind throughout the day as well, and when you think you see some value in an aspect or an image of the world, refuse to lay this chain upon your mind, but tell yourself with quiet certainty, this will not tempt me to delay myself. The world I see holds nothing that I want. Now remember, in your, in your worldly, in your regular, normal mind, that whole thing does not make sense. There's all kinds of things you want. You want a paycheck this Friday. You want a uh, victory for your baseball team in the World Series. None of this makes sense from, the, from, that, from, that, from that mind. What I'm trying to get you to, to give a try is try to join that 
other mind you have, the one that observes the other thoughts. Let your mind step back and observe the thoughts going through your regular mind. Then this will start making sense. I'm going to go on to lesson 129. Beyond this world, there is a world I want. This is the thought that follows from the one we practiced yesterday. You cannot stop with the idea the world is worthless, for unless you see that there is something else to hope for, you will only be depressed. Our emphasis is not on giving up the world, but on exchanging it for what is far more satisfying, filled with joy, and capable of offering you peace. Think you this world can offer that to you? I should say, thank you, thank you, this world can offer that to you. It might be worth a little time to think once more about the value of this world. Perhaps you will concede there is no loss in letting go all thoughts of value here. The world you see is merciless indeed, unstable, cruel, unconcerned with you, quick to avenge, and pitiless with hate. It gives but to rescind and takes away all things that you have cherished for a while. No lasting love is found, for none is here. This is the world of time where all things end. Is it a loss to find a world instead where losing is impossible, where love endures forever, hate cannot exist, and vengeance has no meaning? Is it lost to find all things you really want and know they have no ending and they will remain exactly as you want them throughout time? Yet even they will be exchanged at last for what we cannot speak of, for you go from there to where words fail entirely into a silence where the language is unspoken and yet surely understood. Communication unambiguous and plain as day remains unlimited for all eternity, and God himself speaks to his Son as his Son speaks to him. Their language has no words for what they, cannot, for what they say cannot be symbolized. Their knowledge is direct and wholly shared and wholly one. How far away from this are you who stay bound to this world, and yet how near are you when you exchange it for the world you want? Now is the last step certain. Now you stand an instant space away from timelessness. Here can you but look forward, never back to see again the world you do not want. Here is the world that comes to take its place as you unbind your mind from little things the world sets forth to keep you prisoner. Value them not, and they will disappear. Esteem them, and they will seem real to you. Such is the choice. What loss can be for you in choosing not to value nothingness? This world holds nothing that you really want, but what you choose instead you want indeed. Let it be given you today. It waits but for your choosing it, to take the place of all the things you seek but do not want. Practice your willingness to make this change ten minutes in the morning and at night, and once more in between. Begin with this. Beyond this world there is a world I want. I choose to see that world instead of this, for here is nothing that I really want. Then close your eyes upon the world you see, and in the silent darkness watch the lights that are not of this world light one by one until where one begins and other ends loses all meanings as they blend in one. Today the lights of heaven bend to you to shine upon your eyelids as you rest beyond the world of darkness. Here is light your eyes cannot behold, and yet your mind can see it plainly and can understand. A day of grace is given you today, and we give thanks. This day we realize that what you feared to lose was only loss. Now do we understand there is no loss, for we have seen its opposite at last, and we are grateful that the choice is made. Remember your decision hourly and take a moment to confirm your choice by laying by whatever thoughts you have 
and dwelling briefly only upon this. The world I see holds nothing that I want. Beyond this world, there is a world I want. Okay, so that whole thing, like I say, it's it's all predicated on if you want to practice, and the simple practice you need to do as often as you can is to step back and let your mind go back to that point where you're watching you're watching your mind. Uh, one way, if you if you have a hard time doing that without practice, I've I've been practicing it for years. Another way to do it is to pretend that you're looking at yourself from a different perspective. Uh, pretend that you're seeing yourself sitting in the chair you're in from a different view, and that'll sort of take you out of your own. Uh, that'll that can sort of take you out of your own thoughts also. Now, the real test of this is to get your own thoughts to slow down and even stop for a small amount of time. If you can actually make your thoughts stop, that's where you need to be. One way that Eckhart Tolle suggests is to say to yourself when you're trying to sit quietly, say to yourself, I wonder what my next thought will be. And then you just kind of sit there, and then for like a second, you have no thought. But then some something will pop into your brain, and you'll have a thought. But if you just say to yourself, I wonder what my next thought will be, that lets you step back and observe the thoughts as they come. The other thing is, is to, even though you know in your life and in your real world these things are so important, they're so critical, it's so important that you get that job done at work today. It's so important that you uh, drop your kids off to school on time. It's so important that you don't forget about that doctor's appointment you've waited a month for. If you can just temporarily, not you're not going to give all those things up right away, but if you can just temporarily forget those thoughts and pretend you don't have any thoughts, that's where this thing is leading and the thing I like the best about this course is it doesn't try to give you any big promises. It doesn't promise uh, money, doesn't promise living forever, doesn't problem, promise your body won't get sick. All it promises is peace of mind. And if you can just learn how to take these days when things don't go right and step back and get that peace of mind and try to... KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico. News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. Polls are closing this hour in Virginia, but Republican officials are seeking an injunction to delay the counting of absentee ballots in one eastern Virginia county. The request came in a court filing after a lawyer for the state Republican Party asked the Accomack County Commonwealth's attorney to investigate whether a local Democratic committee official illegally requested and filled out absentee ballots for others. Deborah Wharton, a member of the Accomack County Democratic Committee, referred questions Tuesday to state party officials. A spokesman for the Virginia Democratic Party did not immediately respond to email and telephone messages. 
The White House continues to call the impeachment inquiry a sham and says President Trump has done nothing wrong. Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham is dismissing the latest transcripts of impeachment testimony, saying they show there is even less evidence for this illegitimate impeachment sham than previously thought. In a written statement, she says there was no quid pro quo with Ukraine and that nothing can change the fact that the president did nothing wrong, including salacious, media-biased headlines. White House correspondent Greg Clugston. Nine U.S. citizens, a mother and four children, were killed in a violent attack by suspected drug cartel gunmen in northern Mexico. What we know is that a group was traveling from one town to another town to visit relatives, and they were traveling in three SUVs. And it seems like they were ambushed by a drugs gang. It's not quite clear whether one of the cars was ambushed first. This one car had a puncture, apparently, and the other two cars had gone back to the nearby town to get help. But what we know is that in that first car, that mother with the four children was killed. They were shot at and then the vehicle was either set alight or caught fire when the hail of bullets hit it. The BBC's Vanessa Bush leader. On Wall Street, the Dow up by 30 points to another record, 27,492, that Nasdaq rose one. More on these stories at townhall.com. Men, if you want to have less bathroom problems, listen to this. A new Nobel Prize discovery was just proven in a clinical trial to help men urinate 241% more, ending multiple trips to the bathroom and the constant urge to go. This breakthrough is finally available in a pill called Prostavive LS, developed by famed men's health expert Dr. Al Sears. And for a limited time, you can get a free bottle. Call 800-338-3683. Patients who've taken Prostavive LS are singing its praises. My name is Paul, and I'm 73 years old. I used to get up multiple times a night to go to the bathroom, but after taking Prostavive LS, I now sleep through the night. Prostavive LS does not require a prescription, and there are no side effects. But this free bottle is 